So we're in a series, Loving Jesus, Transforming Lives. And last week we talked about discovering the love of God. Discovering the love of God. If you have your Bible or your device this morning, go to Romans chapter number 8. Eighth chapter of Romans, and I'll get there in just a moment. Loving Jesus, transforming lives, it's very simple. It's an opportunity for us to press into the Lord, to discover his love, to discover what it's all about, and then to share that love with others. This is an opportunity for us to live life on purpose, to purposefully live life. To be full of Jesus and to be full of his unending love. To live life on purpose and to share that love with those around us. You know, Jesus' love compels us to give grace where grace is not deserved. Jesus' love compels us to show mercy when mercy is not what we want to give. Jesus' love compels us to share our abundance for the good and for the healing of others. Jesus' love compels us. His love is great. It is above all things. Amen. Last week we talked about trying to discover the love of Jesus because you certainly cannot share something that you don't know about. And how many know that we are attempting to discover something that just seems undiscoverable. There is no end to it. It's like going into a cave and you can't see the light at the end and you just keep going and going and going. His love is eternal. It's never ending. It's everlasting. And we're going to talk today about how it is prevailing. His love prevails. It's a great love. It's not like the love that we know. It's not like the love that we give. It's not like the love that we share. But his love, as you'll find out, is so much greater than anything that we know. And I don't know about you, but to me, that's a comforting thought. To know that no matter how much you mess up, not that you set out to mess up, but no matter how much you fail, no matter how many times you turn your back, if you would just turn back around as the prodigal son did, if you would stretch your arms toward Jesus as Peter did as he was sinking, come on somebody, into the water. The Lord is right there to say, come on up to where I am. My love endures forever. That's his mercy. His love endures forever. And his love prevails. His love is above all things. Prevail means to have victory. It means no matter what else is there, this is above that. And that is God's love. Prevailing love simply means this. Prevailing love means to prove more powerful than any opposing force. To be victorious and to be widespread. God's love is victorious. It is widespread. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 38, the Bible says this, Paul told the Romans this, he said, For I am what? Persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, 
nor things present, come on, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love, the prevailing love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you know that there is nothing that will separate you from God's love? Why? Because his love prevails. No matter what comes against it, his love prevails. Another version of scripture puts it this way. It says, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor messengers. Come on, somebody. No matter who brings you a message, whether it's from an angel, whether it's from a demon, whether it's from a family member or a co-worker, no messenger can separate you from the love of God. I don't care what message they bring. Maybe they're bringing a message of sickness. Maybe they bring a message of death. Maybe they bring a message of disappointment. Maybe they bring a message of offense. But it cannot separate you from God's love because His love prevails. His love is greater than any message you will ever get. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from God's love. Nothing can separate us from his love. All his love prevails. This journey that we're on in the next number of weeks, we talked about discovering the love that Christ has for us. I think there's nothing worse than a person to go through life and not understand that they are loved. Do you know, and I know my mother-in-law can speak a little bit more on this, but do you know that babies, if they're not held and if they're not told that they're loved, if they're not sung to, come on somebody, it affects them in a negative way. It's a terrible thing to go through life and not understand that you are loved. I'm here to tell you this morning that God is telling you that you are loved. No matter what someone else has done, no matter what you have done, he wants you to know that you are loved. No matter what you've gone through, no matter what you've said, no matter who you've turned your back, no matter how deep you have gone into the muck and into the mire, his love prevails. His love is greater than the muck and the mire. His love is greater. So we're discovering that love. This morning we're going to talk a little bit about how it prevails. And then we can't stop there. We're going to talk about sharing the love of Christ. That's why he gave it to you. So that you could share it. And then finally we're going to talk about transforming lives. It's what Jesus wants to do. See transform means to go from the inside. It comes from the same word that means metamorphosis. Like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. That's why Romans says, don't be conformed to this world from the outside in. Don't let this world mold you and shape you. But ye, be ye transformed from the inside out. Let the love of God inside of you transform you into a beautiful butterfly. Come on. Our prayer should be simply this. Lord Jesus, today I ask that you help me to understand and accept your love. To know that it is the greatest force in the universe. Help me to have eyes to see. And a heart to respond to the needs of others. 
Let me share grace with the undeserved and bring healing to the hurting. That should be all of our prayer this morning. Let me share. Let me first understand the love. Let me understand that it's the greatest force in the universe. And then help me, oh God, to share that love with others. That they may also be transformed. That's our prayer. You want to be healed? Understand the love of God. Accept it by faith. And we're going to be talking about that in a few weeks. Come on. So get ready. Come on. Accept God's love by faith. Know that he loves you in your heart. Well, to do that, we must understand God's definition of love. It's not like your love and my love. Our love can stem from emotion. Maybe I see someone, I see my wife and she's so beautiful and it stirs an emotion. And I say, oh, I love you. Maybe someone does something for me. Maybe Brother Tom gives me a ride somewhere and I say, boy, he sure is a nice guy. Brother Tom, I just love you. Maybe it's the, the, the church here and I see all the beautiful people out here and you go, great word, pastor. And I say, thanks. I know it wasn't that great, but I love you for that. Our love stems from so many other things. God's love stems simply from him. Just because he, you didn't do anything for him to love you. He loved you. When, you, when you. when a mom has a baby, she sees that baby. And before the baby has an opportunity to say, Mom, I love you, or Mom, can I do something for you, or whatever it might be, the mother and the father loved the baby. Realize that God loved you before he even created you. You were created because of his love. He had a love that was there for you so deep-seated in himself that he used that love to create you. That's what you are fearfully and wonderfully made means. It means that there was a love there already. He didn't see you and say, oh boy, yes, I love you. He loved you and then he saw you. Come on, that ought to blow your mind this morning. He already loved you. That ought to give you an assurance. There's nothing that can separate you from that love. Here's God's definition of love. It is the giving of oneself at the expense of oneself for the benefit of others. You might want to write that down because some of us can struggle with that. In fact, most of us probably would struggle with that at times because there are some people that are just unlovable. Come on now. I mean, if we're going to be realistic about it, if we're going to be real about it, some of us have some family members that come across as just unlovable. Come on, somebody. And if you don't have anyone in your family or your friends that are unlovable, you might look in the mirror. I'm just throwing it out there. I'm not calling any names. But it's the giving of oneself at the expense of oneself for the benefit of others. The love I have for you is for your benefit, not for mine. Remember the story last week about the woman who just wanted to get a divorce from her husband? But she went home and began to, she acted like she loved him. Come on. She treated him like she loved him and ended up falling in love with him. Come on. The love you have is for others. It's not for you. It's for them. Isaiah 55, God told 
Israel this through the prophet Isaiah. You know it. You've heard it before. He said that my ways are not your ways. Come on. Neither are your thoughts my thoughts. For as far as the heavens are above the earth, are my ways and my thoughts so far above yours. But then he went on to say this. He went on to say, just as the rain and the snow comes down from the heavens and it covers the earth and it waters the earth and it nourishes the earth and then it brings forth vegetation and it brings forth fruit and it doesn't return to the heavens until it has accomplished what I sent it to do. So my word will not return to me void. My word will not return to me until it accomplishes what I have set it out to do. That's how God loves you. His love doesn't come back to him unless it accomplishes what it's set out to do. His love is prevailing. I know some of you may not understand what that means, but his love wins. His love prevails. Listen to it in another version. Isaiah 55, 8 says, I, I don't think the way that you think. The way you work isn't the way that I work. That's God's decree. For as the sky soars high above the earth, so the way I work will surpass the way that you work. That's why we must understand kingdom living. You keep, you, you keep being that hamster in a wheel. Getting a loan, paying it back, using your credit cards, doing this whole thing. Expecting something back when you give to people. Come on. Hamster in a wheel. But the kingdom way is much different. It says, just as rain and snow descend from the skies and don't go back until they've watered the earth, doing their work. Come on. Making things grow. Making things blossom. We're talking about the love of God. Making things grow and blossom, producing seed for the farmers, food for the hungry. So will the words that come out of my mouth not come back to me empty-handed. Come on. They'll do the work that I sent them to do. They'll complete the assignment that I gave them. This is where the parable of the talent stems from. God expects something back when he sends it out. And when he sends his love and he has set his love upon you, he will be rewarded because his love prevails. I know for some that's hard to see. It's hard to understand. But his love prevails. His grace, his mercy prevails. Some may be thinking, well, you just don't understand what I've gone through. You may not understand some things that I've done. You don't understand some thoughts that I've had. You, you, don't, you weren't there when I said some things to some people that shouldn't be said. I used some words that very few people know. <laughs> Come on. I've done some things to people. I've hurt people. I've done this and I've done that. And God would simply say this to you. Where sin does abound, grace does that much more abound. You cannot out his grace. What am I saying? And I'm, am I saying that you should sin to prove his grace? What did Paul say? God forbid. You can try it, but God says, I'll crush you. Come on. Until you love me. You're going to love me. <laughs> Come on. Come on, God. His love prevails. It won't lose. 
It will not lose. You can try to come against it, but it will not lose. There is no formula to make the love of God lose. You cannot do it. The love of God is stronger than we dare hope or dream. It's stronger than all of that. No matter what, it's way above all of those things. Because his love prevails. This is why it's so difficult for us to understand God's love. We cannot talk about loving others until we truly understand what love is, what God's love is, and how it prevails. David Sanford wrote it this way. He said, here's what love is like, genuine love, God's love. The God kind of love, it's patient. It can wait. Oh, it can wait. Thank the Lord. It can wait. Come on. It helps others even if they never find out who assisted them. Love doesn't look for greener pastures. Love doesn't boast about what it's done. It doesn't try to build its own self up to be something that it isn't. Love doesn't act in a loose, immoral way. It doesn't seek to take. But it willingly gives. Love doesn't lose its temper. It doesn't keep changing its mind. I love you this way today, but tomorrow you don't look as good. Or you didn't do the thing you did yesterday. Or you said this. So I don't love you as much today. Love doesn't think about how difficult the other person is. And certainly doesn't think of how it could get back at someone. Love is grieved deeply over the evil in this world. But it rejoices in truth. You see, love comes and sits with you when you're feeling down. And finds out what's wrong. It empathizes with you. And believes in you no matter what. Because love knows that you'll come through just as God planned. And love carries on to the end. It doesn't give up, doesn't quit, and it doesn't diminish. True love does not diminish. And it doesn't go home. It sticks and it stays. Come on. Love perseveres even when everything goes wrong. And the feelings leave. And the other person doesn't seem as special anymore. Love succeeds 100% of the time. Love never fails. God's love prevails. Come on. God's love prevails. Understanding that, what should be our response? How, what do we do with that? Understanding that God's love is so great, what do I do with that? How do, I, how do I respond to you, God? You see, when we don't understand God's love, several things happen in our life. We get disappointed. Come on. Times when we get disappointed because we don't understand his love. It, things didn't work out the way I thought they would. Why would God take me to this place and open this door and then close it in my face? I don't understand that. I'm disappointed. Why would it seem like I'm supposed to go over that way 
and talk to this person about that. And then they stab me and I don't understand that. We get disappointed. But it stems from us not having a full comprehension of God's love. We can become disillusioned. That means someone appears less good than we originally thought. That's what disillusionment means. It means I thought it was one thing, but it's, I, I got into it and I found out it wasn't exactly what I thought it was cracked up to be. I thought this was going to be a great job, but once I started doing the job, it wasn't what I thought. I thought this person was my helpmeet for life, but after spending a few months, a few years together, they're not what I thought. I'm a little disillusioned. Some of us get disillusioned with God. Come on. I thought he was all powerful. I thought he loved me. I thought his love never failed. But look at the war. Look at the sin. Look at children dying. Look at what people do. We get disillusioned. But it stems from us not understanding God's love and how it prevails. His love prevails. We can become discouraged. Maybe I understand, yeah, God does love me, but I'm just tired. It's just a little discouraging. I'm tired. I'm, I'm a little weary. I keep trying, and I keep running my head into a wall. I keep running my shoulder into a door, and I'm not going anywhere. I'm getting a little discouraged. And God would say to you, faint not. For you will reap the reward if you faint not. We don't understand God's love. We can become angry. You ever got mad at God? Come on, it's okay to say it. I'll, I'll admit it, I have. And it's because I love him and I know he loves me. And things didn't work out and I became angry. God, why did you let this happen? This is not the way it's supposed to happen. Getting angry. We can become callous. We can build a wall and say, you know what? That's it. I'm building a wall. I'm not letting anyone else in. I'm not going to wear my heart on a sleeve. I am not going to try it. I'm not going to put myself out there. Come on. I'm not going to interview for any more jobs. I'm not going to audition. I'm not going to do any of those things. I'm not going to tell someone I love them. I'm not going to do that. I'm just, I'm just going to live my life, die and go to heaven. <laughs> Come on. Not that you don't want to go to heaven. Come on, we ain't stupid. <laughs> I do want to go to heaven, Brother Brian. I'm just tired of getting hurt along the way. So you become callous. But it stems from we don't understand God's prevailing love. We make plans. Come on. We make plans to do one thing. But God already has plans for something else. And so it's up to us to adjust but instead of adjusting, we get angry and disappointed, disillusioned, discouraged, and callous. We get all of those things. And God's simply saying, I have something so much better. Don't, do, don't go for all those things. Look at, what I'm, look at the way I'm bringing you. If you would just do that, you would see how much more satisfied you would be. Here's what we must understand. God will absolutely wreck your plans when he knows that your plans will wreck you. Come on. God said, God will wreck your plans when he knows that your plans are about to wreck you. 
Because he can see it coming. In fact, he's already been there. In fact, he's there now. But you're still here in time. And he sees what's coming. And because he loves you and because his love prevails, he comes in and he wrecks your plans. He tears it down and tears it all apart. Because he knows that it's best for you. But to us, we see destruction. My plans are destroyed. My life is laid before me. Not understanding some things have to be broken before God can shape them the way he wants to. Because when we shape it and we mold it, it's still imperfect. But if we allow God to shape it and God to mold it and God to put the pieces together. Come on, somebody. It's perfect. It's his perfect will and his perfect plan. Oh, God's love prevails. Come on. Here's a couple things we must understand about his love. God's love is all-encompassing. It's all-encompassing. Hebrews 12, 28 and 29 says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, come on, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and a godly fear. Why? Because God is an all-consuming fire. His love is all-encompassing. It's all-consuming. There is nothing left out. There is nowhere to hide on this earth or anywhere else in the universe from the love of God because his love prevails. God's love caused him to send his son for our salvation. See, John 3.16 doesn't say that God so loved the world that he saved the world. It said that he so loved the world that he sent his son to sacrifice himself, to give his life in a bloody death on the cross. He just didn't snap his fingers and say, okay, they messed up, I'm saving the world. No, he paid the price with his perfect blood for you and I. His love is all encompassing. God so loved the world that he gave. Paul told the Corinthians that you are bought with a price. That's how much he loves you. His love is all encompassing. Come on, it's not without sacrifice. 1 John 4.10 says, in this love, not that we loved God, come on, not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. This means that he, Jesus, on the cross, fully satisfied the demand for our death, all-encompassing. Thereby fully satisfying the demand for our life. He fully satisfied it. Nothing left out. Nothing else was needed. It's over, done, paid for, full. Come on. Finished. It's over. Nothing else is owed. Can't come back and say, well, there were some interest. No, everything is paid for. It's all paid for. You are bought with a price and paid for. He took you from the kingdom of darkness and brought you into a marvelous light. You are bought and paid for. God's love is all that you need. It's all the assurance that you need. 
Verse 11 of that chapter 55, he told his people through Isaiah, so shall my word go forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void. It's done. I spoke it. He said, it is finished. It's done. You belong to me. Don't look back. Why are you looking back? You know what he told Peter? After he got up into the boat, Peter was walking on water. He started to sink. Lord, save me. Jesus reached down, saved him, walked back to the boat together, got in the boat. You know what Jesus told him? He said, what, 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 what? why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? God's telling you this morning, it's finished. Don't doubt. Don't look back. I don't care what happened yesterday. It's done. You need to repent. Repent. It's a simple thing. You think it's so difficult. Just turn. Because, and, and listen, look for the Lord. Because when you see him, you won't want to go back. But a lot of times, this is how we repent. We're going one way and we say, yeah, this is not right. I know I'm going into this thing, so I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn and go the other way. And this is what we do. This is our repentance. Guess what's going to happen? God's saying, repent and look at me. Oh, come on. Oh, yeah, when you look toward the Lord, you won't even want to go back. People will get you to try to go back. You're going to say, look at that. And they're going to be like, no, uh-uh, get off me. Come on. I'm telling you the truth this morning. Look to the Lord. Secondly, God's love is eternal. It doesn't end. God's love is not hot for us one day and cold for us another day. He doesn't treat us the way that he wants to be. I mean, he doesn't treat us the way that uh, we treat him. Come on. He treats us the way that he wants us to treat him. Come on. He treats us that way. He's a perfect example of treating us the way that he wants to be treated, not the way we treat him. Therefore, his love never stops. The psalmist said 26 times in Psalms 136 that his mercy endures forever. I'm not changing the word of God, but you could just put in there, his love never stops. Oh God, you are great. His love never stops. His mercy endures forever and his love is eternal. How do I know it? Because he told Jeremiah in chapter 31, the Lord has appeared of old to me saying, yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn you to me. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. With a loving kindness, he drew us to him. And his love doesn't stop. It's all night and all day and the next night and the next day and the next year and the next decade and the next millennium and the next eternal. It doesn't stop. He won't stop loving you, having assurance. So often we, we fear Oh, in my relationship that I have, I don't know. I better act right because I'm afraid she'll stop loving me. Maybe he'll leave me. Maybe my friend won't be my friend anymore. You don't have to worry about that with God. God's love is eternal. His love is perfect. 
1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love, but what? Perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. Come on. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. You got fear in your life, you're not understanding the love of God toward you. There is no fear in love. Remember our definition, the giving of oneself at the expense of oneself for the benefit of another. God doesn't want us to fear. This love is so perfect that it doesn't make sense to us. The perfect love is not about getting what one deserves. It's about, it's not about being right in our own eyes. And it's not about looking out for yourself, but it's all about others. The perfect love is the opposite of self-centered. It's the opposite of being self-absorbed. Come on. It's the opposite of self-seeking. Perfect love is all about sacrifice. It's all about the other person. Come on. That's what a perfect love is. It's a story called The Grandfather's Table. And this story touched my heart. It's about a frail old man and how he went to live with his son and his daughter-in-law. Their four-year-old grandson was there also. His four-year-old grandson. Their four-year-old son was there. And this man, his, he was old and his hands trembled. His eyesight was blurred and his steps faltered a little bit. The family ate together at the table, but the elderly grandfather's shaky hands and failing sight made eating difficult. So peas rolled off his spoon onto the floor. When he grasped a glass of milk, turned over and it spilled on the tablecloth. The son and the daughter-in-law became irritated with the mess they had to clean up. And they said, we must do something about grandfather. Come on, we got to do something about this. I've had enough of his spilled milk, of his noisy eating, and his food on the floor. So the husband and the wife set a small table over in the corner. And the grandfather ate alone while the rest of the family enjoyed dinner at the big table. Since grandfather had broken a dish or two, his food was served in a wooden bowl. When the family glanced at grandfather in his direction, he sometimes had a tear in his eye as he sat alone. Still, the only words the couple had for him were sharp admonitions when he dropped a fork or he spilled his food. The four-year-old watched all this in silence. One evening before supper, the father noticed his son playing with wood scraps on the floor. And he asked the child, he said, son, what are you making? What are you doing? And his son said so sweetly, oh, I am making a little bowl for you and mama to eat your food from for when I grow up. The four-year-old smiled and went back to work. The words so struck the parents that they were speechless. Then tears started to stream down their cheeks. And though no words were spoken, both knew what must be done. That evening, the husband took grandfather's hand and gently led him back to the family table. For the remainder of his days, he ate every meal with the family. And for some reason, 
Neither husband nor wife seemed to care any longer when a fork was dropped, when milk was spilled, or the tablecloth was soiled. See, the love that we have, it's not about us, but it's about others. And as hard as it is for us to grasp that, how can we treat others that way? We have to understand that that's the love that God has for us. No matter how many times you spill your milk, no matter how many times your peas roll off of your spoon, no matter how many times you drop your food on the floor, God says you can eat at the table. You can eat at the master's table because my love prevails. Lastly, God's love, now watch this now, God's love is personal. God is just, God loves his church. God so loved the world. God loves a people. But God loves you. In Genesis chapter 2, God saw that man, human, was lonely. And the only way to fill the void of loneliness was to extract from him what God had put in him for companionship. God's love is personal. He didn't bring a lion or an elephant or a tree or something else. But his love is personal. His love is personal. He loves you. In Luke 8, 48, Jesus leaned down to the woman with an issue of blood. And he said, daughter, daughter. He didn't just say, hey, lady, woman, you're healed. I got stuff to do. He said, daughter, be of good comfort. Your faith has made you whole. Go in peace. Go in peace. In other words, have a comfort. No more worry. No more fear. I've set my love upon you. Now when you go, go in peace. Go in assurance. Be of good comfort. Jesus said to the woman caught in adultery, down with her. Woman, where are your accusers? There are none, Lord. Neither do I accuse you. The ruler of the universe, the one that created you, I breathe the breath of life into you. I fearfully and wonderfully made you. I had you on the potter's wheel. I have the power to give you life and I have the power to destroy you. I can wrap the universe up in a scroll and throw it away. When I breathe, stars come out of my mouth. And I don't accuse you. You are free. Go in peace. In Matthew, it says, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved. The God of the universe was moved with compassion for them because they were hungry. They were hungry physically and they were hungry spiritually. And he was moved with compassion. In Isaiah 49, 16, he says, See, I have inscribed you. Read it. It's in the Bible. I have inscribed you on the palm of my hand. Your name is right here. Your name. Not the church, America, Africa, Philippines, Mars. Vega, whatever, star, 
solar system. No, you, Joe, Mike, Jody, Amy, your name is written on my hand. I take it everywhere I go. His love is personal. I love this one. I was so thankful when I read this. Matthew 10, 30. He said, but all the hairs on your head are numbered. I know them all. I was so thankful. Wouldn't be very difficult for him to number my hairs, but. Psalm 56, 8. This one will move you. It says he puts your tears in a bottle. He collects your tears. He knows when you cry and he collects your tears. It moves him. I'm telling you this morning that God's love is personal toward you and his love prevails. So stop with the anxiety. Stop with the worrying. Stop with the emotional fear. Tell your emotions to stop it. Do you know that Paul said in Philippians chapter 4, Be anxious for nothing, but when you really read it, when you delve into it, when you understand the context of it, what Paul was really saying was, he was saying, look in the mirror and tell yourself, stop being anxious. Stop it. I control my emotions. You don't control me. I will not walk in fear because I have a blessed assurance. God has set his love upon me. 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our tribulation that we may be, we may be able to comfort others, those who are in trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. In other words, what he's saying is the same comfort that we get, that great comfort that we get, that great assurance You now have the ability to give that to others. And that's what he's calling us to do. God is near you now, and he desires to help you. God has come into your world to touch your needs. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saved such and have a contrite spirit. Just like he did for the lepers when he healed them. God is near to you. What are we saying this morning? You can have an assurance that God's love is all you need. You don't need to look for love in any other place. Some been looking for love in what? All the wrong places. Come on. His love encompasses all of your hurts, your needs, your wants, and your failures. His love is enough, and his love is sufficient for you. How many believe that this morning?